wonderful today. Why don't we worship him for a moment? Gracious Father, we love you today. There is none like you. You are holy today. We bless you, Jesus. What a privilege to be in your presence. There's no place like the presence of God. There is no place like the presence of God. We can get by without a whole lot of things, but we cannot get by without God. Sometimes it's hard for you and I to understand that because there are times that we put God on the back burner. But I promise anybody who knows Him, when you get in trouble, you don't call your friend. You'll call your neighbor. You cry out to that name because you know that it's Him. It's in Him that we move and have our being. If you will, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 16. Romans 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wives, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like to a corruptible man, to birds, to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Who worshiped the creature more than the Creator. They worshiped the creature. I don't really have a title for what I want to speak to you today. Well, I will tell you it has been eating at me for about three weeks. And uh, I tried to do something different this morning, but it just didn't work. So I want to speak to you from this passage of Scripture from the book of Romans. The Lord bless you. you may be seated. Before I begin today, let me thank you for all of your kindness and your prayer for my brother. Uh, when I went by the hospital Friday after the surgery, we were there 
when he went into surgery, I had to go to a meeting that I came back, and he had come out of recovery. He was fully awake at the time. He, he said, for the first time in a long time, I can feel my hand, and it doesn't tingle anymore. So uh, I want to thank you for all your prayers and for everything that you have done for them during this time. And I thank you. I uh, have, over the last month, been involved in a situation that almost challenged my whole belief system. You human beings have this incredible ability to uh, talk to us and connect to us in ways that as they communicate, you get to know them, you let your walls down, you, you, you seem to think things are okay, and you just open yourself, and we get in each other's lives, and then we as humans become human. We do things. We say things. We allow things in our lives that become destructive, and it causes difficulties, and it opens the door to other things that can become very damaging. And as I walked through these things with a very dear friend and his family, it was such a, a painful thing to see. The results and the outcome that affected people that really had no part in what happened. They didn't participate. They didn't cause a problem. But yet, they are paying the price of the problem that was produced. And I, I became incredibly aware of how my life has an overflow effect on a whole lot of people, not just myself. My life affects those that are around me. They affect my wife first, my children second, and then they affect my church as well. And my behavior has an incredible ripple effect in life that if if I'm not careful, I can affect many lives in a way that I don't want to. So I, I begin to ask myself a question. How, how is it that man can get to this point? Is it we quit praying? And the answer to that is no. Because there was not a lack of prayer. Is it that we quit reading the Bible? And the answer to that is no, because there was not an absence of reading the Bible. Is it uh, that we don't fast like we should? No, because that continued to happen. It, it had. It, if you looked at the structure carefully, you would, you, you would be, you, you would question how could it happen. When all of the dynamics that should have been in place were in place, but yet these kind of things still happen. How does it happen? It's real easy for you and I as humans to justify our behavior. And because God is merciful, 
God is kind and God does not attack us for our failures or God doesn't try to destroy us when we make a mistake. We often think that because God did not interfere in my life that God doesn't have a problem with my lifestyle or what I'm doing. But that's not true. Because God doesn't bring quick judgment to my life does not mean that God has placed His blessing on my life. So I, I started asking myself, how'd this happen? And the Lord has taken me back through the book of Romans, and I have been going over it again and again and again because it's probably the best book in the New Testament that addresses the real struggle in our lives. And that struggle is the struggle between flesh and spirit. It is not the struggle between spirit and devil or our, our, ourselves and, and evil uh, from the devil's viewpoint or the demon's viewpoint. It, that's not where the struggle is. All of us have the ability to conquer that. And we do that. The real struggle comes from within man. And when God touches my life in the way that He desires to, there's such an incredible change that takes place in my life that you and I don't always understand the full dynamics of the change that happens as a result of becoming a child of God. When you're born of water and spirit and you become a new creature, which literally translates a new creation, you, you become a brand new person. You're, the old person that you were dies. Paul types the new birth to the act of adoption. And in the act of adoption in the Roman world, there were three things that happened during the act of adoption. There's a ritual that took place for adoption to take place. A man would meet with another man and, and talk to him about uh, whether or not he could adopt a son from him. Uh, and they would make an arrangement. The son that was usually adopted was not a very good son. He was usually the son that caused dad the most trouble in life. But he was the one dad would be willing to give up to let another man take and another man raise. And they would make an arrangement where they would meet at the gate of the city where all business was uh, taking place. And, and at meeting at the gate, they would uh, bring the son that was going to be adopted. The father would come and the man who would adopt the son would come. And the reason for adoption was to pass on the family name. They thought that it would be the worst thing in life for the name not to be passed to the next generation. So if there were no sons born to a family, a man would do whatever was possible to find a male heir that could take his name, that could take on the lineage, and his name would not be destroyed. So, with that idea in mind, they would come to uh, the judges of the city or the community, and, and they would discuss with everybody present what they were going to do. It wasn't done in secret. Everybody knew about this event, and it was discussed in detail. Often, his record was drug up and paraded for everybody to pardon me, to know about. Uh, if he had been in prison, they would tell about 
uh, everything he had done, all of his mistakes, his shortcomings, his failures, they would read his list of failures so everybody there could hear them. Now, the reason they would read that list of failures is the moment that the adoption took place, that list ceased to exist. The reason is he became a brand new person. His old life is gone. It doesn't matter what he had done in life up to that point. That person no longer existed. He had a new name. And with that new name, he got a brand new start in life. So there would be people who would come that heard that he's going to be adopted. He may have owed them thousands of dollars and they would come trying to argue, you can't let this happen because if he's adopted, he will never pay me back because that record will cease to exist. And so there was quite a, a problem created by this adoption process. And, but finally, after, after discussing it and, and everybody there, the father and the man agreeing, uh, he would finally begin a bargaining process. And, and the father would say, you know, I, I don't give up sons easy. This is, this is a good son. Now, his record had been read. Everybody knows how bad he's been. That didn't matter. The dad would then begin to point out his good traits. You know, he's been a good son to me, and, and uh, I don't think I should give him up easy. What are you willing to give me for him? And they would, they would barter back and forth until a price was agreed on. On three separate days, they came back and did the same thing repeatedly, just like the day before. On the third day, the man would bring a bag of coins with him that would represent the purchase price. And at the conclusion of the agreement that day, he simply handed the bag of money to the other man. And when the other man took it in his hands, at that moment, that son no longer existed. He was now the son of a new man. He was now in a new family. And he changed his name, he changed his address, and he changed his clothes. He had a new name. The name represented everything about him. We have a new name. When we're born into his kingdom, we get a new name. And that new name is the Lord Jesus Christ. We not only get that name, we get permission to use that name. We get the authority and the right to use that name at any time or any place we have need of. So, when you're in a difficult place in life, and, and, and all of a sudden you need help, you can say, Jesus, and instantly... I remember years ago traveling down the Gulf Freeway and I, I was up against the guardrail and, and I watched in front of me as cars began to tangle up and they're going every direction. I have no place to go and I can't stop. And I simply said, Jesus! And when I look in my mirror, all I see is the tangled mess of those cars. But I have no idea how I got through that. But when I call that name, all of us have the right to use it. We get a new name. 
But we also change where we live. We no longer live at a house where you're ridiculed for your mistakes and everybody there at that house makes fun of your mistakes and everybody there criticizes your mistakes and everybody there tells you you're worthless and everybody there says you'll never be any good and you'll never measure up and you can never do anything right. Everybody there will criticize you. But at this new house you go to, nobody is allowed to drag your past up because it don't exist anymore. The day you walk into that home, you walk in a brand new person with no record of life. You have been changed from an old person to a new person with a new identity and a new purpose and a new place in life. But you also have to change your clothes. You had to change your dress because their families were recognized by the garments they wore. So you could look at a man and know his name simply by looking at the way he was dressed. And so when we become a child of God, there are some things God expects out of us. We put on a new way of identifying ourselves to the world. We come out from the world and we become separate from the world and we don't look like the world or think like the world or act like the world. We take on a new nature and a new way of presenting ourselves to our world. We change our dress. For the name change, the address change, and the dress change, I get a new identity. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but to me, that's a pretty good deal. Nobody can ever drag your past up and accuse. That's, that's a pretty good deal. That's an incredible opportunity that nothing you have ever done in life will be laid at your feet when you stand before him in judgment. If you have been born of water, born of spirit, and you have lived a repented lifestyle from that day forward. Notice as I began reading this passage of scripture, there are several things that Paul addresses. One of them, he talks about that God is revealed from faith to faith, and the just shall live by faith. Do you understand it's just as important for you to have faith in your fellow man as it is to have faith in God. One of the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Faith is not my connection to God. The fruit of the Spirit has nothing to do with my God relationship. Faith or, or the fruit of the Spirit has to do with me staying in His presence long enough that I start looking like and acting like Him and my life becomes a reflection of Him. And it's simply reflecting His nature because the fruit of the Spirit is the nature of God and God wants me to reflect Him in my behavior and everything that I do. So I start looking like and I start becoming like Him. So I put on Him with love. I, I put on Him with kindness. I, I put on Him with temperance and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and tolerance. And I put on Him faith. It's just as important I have faith in my wife and my children and my grandchildren. i got to have faith. 
the just shall live by faith. And the Bible view of faith is not wishful thinking. God don't need you hoping he's going to. I just, I, I'm believing this is going to happen. Faith has nothing to do with wishful thinking. True faith is a conviction that you know who God is, what God will do, and how God will live and operate in your life. It's a lifestyle of living for God based upon a conviction of the knowledge of who He is. Now here's where the problem comes. That conviction of the knowledge of who He is has to do with that word glorify that we sang about today. To glorify somebody in our language means to make them bigger than they are or to put them in their place of respect or authority or to look up to someone in, in, in veneration or adoration. That's what our word glorify seems to mean, that, that it means to, uh, uh, to give them the accolades of life they deserve. But the word glorify that's used here has nothing to do. It's not even close to ours. It literally translates to develop an opinion about. To hang around God long enough that you develop an opinion about Him. You understand His nature by association. You understand His thoughts by association. You understand where He desires you to go by association. Nobody has to tell you you should go here or you should go there. Us Pentecostals today expect God to tell somebody else to tell us how to live our life. And so we're looking for somebody to speak into our lives or, or what's God told you about me. And we're missing what God wants you and I to become. He's wanting us to become attached to Him enough that we know where He's looking and we know what His thoughts are and we know His direction for our life because I got close enough to Him to develop an opinion about Him. See, I have an opinion about God and what God expects out of my life. And I can tell you what God expects out of me. He expects faithfulness. He doesn't expect performance. God's not looking for any of you to perform. He's not looking for you to do certain things or, or, or produce certain behavior that qualifies you. God is simply expecting you to be a faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, how do you define faithfulness? You show up. If you're faithful to work, what do you do? You show up. What do you do when you show up? Do your job. A few months ago, I, I rode in a car from Houston to Temple, Texas with a group of men going to look at a church that needed a, a building and kind of got trapped. I, 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 I was stuck here and there was no way of getting out. And so I'm, I'm, this is a four-hour drive both directions. And Going was, was, uh, it was okay. Coming back became quite a complicated problem because coming back, I, I'm the only person in the car that believes that all, that don't believe that all you gotta do is just say, 
I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. I'm the only one who's there who don't believe that. And they're trying to pin me down to why that their belief system works. And, and, and you know, it's, you're saved by faith. You, you just believe in Jesus Christ. I said, well, if that's the case, then somebody's going to have to apologize to the seven churches of Revelations because every church was addressed by, I know thy works. He didn't say, I know your belief. I know thy works. Faith without works is the just shall live by what? Well, you're in a math. If A plus B is equal to C and D plus E is equal to, to C, then A plus B is equal to D plus C, right? Yeah, that's right. Believe me, okay? There's a law of math called the law of substitution. So, I can easily substitute for faith works. Because faith without works is... If you don't produce behavior that matches your faith, you have absolutely no faith. Faith is not saying you believe something. It's doing you believe something. It's not putting it into your mouth. It's putting it into your lifestyle. It's living the life that proves what you say you believe. The just shall live by faith. Their belief system, their conviction. What is the conviction? The premise of your conviction is that Jesus Christ is God manifest in flesh. That's what sets all apostolics apart from the rest of the world. We do not believe in a triune God. We do not believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We believe that Jehovah Jireh of the Old Testament overshadowed a virgin that produced a child and the fullness of the Godhead dwelt by. That's the conviction your life has to be founded on without it. You have no place to go. The just shall live by faith. God, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. What's righteousness mean? Doing what's right. How is God's being right revealed from faith to faith. Well, if it's just belief, that don't work. It's by evidence. It's by lifestyle. You see, Jesus never asked any of us to act like Him until He first demonstrated his behavior and expectations in his own life. He didn't ask me to love somebody that he didn't first demonstrate how to do it. 
He didn't ask me to show meekness to anybody without first demonstrating how to do it. Every one of those fruit of the Spirit, Jesus modeled in His own lifestyle, in His own interaction with human beings. He set the example. He provided the lifestyle to show you and I how to do it. So the right, the goodness of God is revealed from conviction to conviction. It's your convictions about God that start opening the door for you to see more and more and more of God. If you have no convictions, there will be no more revelation of Him or who He is or what He does. But the more convinced you become of Him, the more you hang around Him and the more you understand that He is who He is and the more you develop an opinion about Him, the closer you get to Him. See, you can't tell me God doesn't do things. I've watched Him do it. You can't tell me God doesn't heal because I've seen thousands of people heal. I've seen a lady get out of a wheelchair. I've seen a blind eye open. I've seen cancers disappear. God's a healer. See, I, I have an opinion. You, know, you, you can't convince me he can't do it because i got an opinion. It's, it's more that, than just I put him on a pedestal. I hung around him long enough. I can vouch for him. I can tell you I once was young, but now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seeds out begging for bread. God doesn't treat His kids with disrespect. God loves us unconditionally. And when I develop that opinion about Him, it changes everything about my life. Here's the problem. Without the opinion of God, we develop an opinion of self. When you look at creation, the psalmist said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. What is man thou art mindful of him? Why do you think about man, David said? What, what, what causes you to even be aware of who I am? You, you, you've... You crowned him with glory and honor. You made him a little lower than the angels. So that would imply that God's order of creation is God, angels, and man. Because man is less than an angel. He's lower than an angel, right? Well, that would be true if the word was angel. But the word is not angel. The word is Elohim. He said, Thou hast made him a little lower than God and crowned. You made him in his image. There is a little bit of God in every human being. You have his nature. He put his image in you. And with that image, he gives you the ability to create. You can do things that other parts of his creation cannot do. You can create answers. You can do things angels cannot do. Because the angel has never created one thing. Man can. If you read the rest of this passage, you'll discover about verse 26. 
as he's discussing what happens when man doesn't glorify God, he said they become inventors of evil. See, I'm convinced that man has created all the evil in our world, not a devil. The devil didn't create pornography. Man did. The devil didn't create alcohol. Man did. The devil didn't create drugs. Man did. Humans have learned how to create the evil that's around us. So here's the problem. Satan is just a fallen angel. He's below you. And when you become a child of God, you instantly become aware that he's beneath you, not above you. When you were his child, you thought he was in control and there was nothing you could do. And that's a fact. Paul said he does with them at his will. So when you belong to him, you have no choice in your behavior. You can't change the way you are. You can't do anything to make your life different. But when you become a child of God and he frees you from the curse of sin of Adam in a garden and makes you a new creature, now you Go back and step into the role God created for you to have in the garden. And that's to be like Him. And now you can become the creature God designed you to be originally. And that's a creature that can choose to worship. A creature that can choose to love. A creature that can choose to be in His presence. And choose to become what we choose to be. He gave us the ability to choose and to create. Because the devil is beneath me. When I don't develop an opinion about God, I start developing an opinion about me. And I start stepping into the throne of my own life. I start becoming my own God. I start taking over my life and I start looking around and thinking I did all this and I can start justifying my behavior I've heard some weird stories in my practice some really strange stories I've had men tell me because of 25 years of faithful service because of paying tithes and supporting the church and giving thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to the church and the missions because of their faithfulness. God granted them the freedom and the right to have an affair. Men have told me that. They're convinced. They are absolutely convinced it's perfectly okay. Why? Because they dethroned God and enthroned themselves. And they stepped into the throne of their own life. Instead of worshiping the Creator, they worshiped the creature more than the Creator. So man's biggest struggle is not with the devil. It's with the flesh he lives in and the desires of that flesh and the direction that flesh will take you and the things that flesh will convince you is perfectly okay and justify in your own mind and you will step in the throne room of your own life and become your own God. 
And then life's about you and nobody else. See, your world has convinced you that because you're an American, you have all of these rights. You got a right. You're entitled. So the next thing I start thinking is I'm entitled to all these things. I, I'm, I'm entitled to a good life. I'm entitled to be happy. That's real stupid, okay? You're not entitled to nothing. Paul said, I think myself happy. When's the last time you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, smile, son, you're going to be happy today. When's the last time you decided you're going to have a good day and you changed it because you made the decision to do it? Not us. Somebody else got to make me happy. Or somebody else has got to do things that make my life better than they are. And it, it's somebody else's behavior that makes me feel better about myself. That's the lies your world's taught. Nobody can make you feel better about you. It's not possible. There's too many dumb books out there. Quit reading dumb books and read the book. Quit... Yeah, you know, we're trying to find out what everybody else is saying. Why don't you just find out what God had to say? We're afraid to read the Bible because it convicts us of our lifestyles. We won't get in the Word because I can lie to everybody, but the moment I pick that Word up, it cuts right to where I live and exposes me for who I am. So I just don't pick it up. I'll read what somebody else says, and somebody else is going to convince me. All you got to do is just believe. No, all you got to do is obey Obedience is what God's looking for. He's not looking for me to say, I believe. God's expecting us to do and act what we're told. That didn't go over. You're you're American. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. You're so deceived. Get in the car, pull out the driveway, turn right. In less than 500 foot, somebody's going to tell you what to do. And every time I pull out of that parking lot, that sucker's been red. I had to stop. And I had better things to do than stop. And I haven't made it to the freeway yet when all of them are green. I think they do that just to irritate me. Somebody tell me what to do. This fantasy about life that I'm not responsible to nobody. Yes, you are. You have no clue the devastating effect of dumb behavior on generations to come. My behavior affects my children. It'll affect their children. It'll affect their children. I stood and watched as grown men were destroyed because of what? Dad did. They lost their jobs. They lost their occupation. They lost everything in just a few moments' time because Dad made some decisions that caused him a problem that affected somebody else. It affected everybody else's trust. And it started that ripple effect. Now, dads cause sons, grandchildren, 
Now we got chaos. It's down third and fourth generation. The Bible says the sins of the father are passed on the third and fourth generation. So my life affects a whole lot of people. And if I'm not man or woman enough to look at myself in the mirror and say, you better straighten your act up, and I don't care what you think you need or what you think ought to be your right, you're going you're gonna to live the way you should live. And my world empowers me to be the biggest self-centered jerk I can be. And it's perfectly okay. They'll applaud you. They'll give you, They'll give you a trophy. They'll put you in the role of president. The more narcissistic you are, the better chance you are of obtaining high positions. Just get selfish. More it's about you. Does it matter? It does matter. Well, I'm sorry you folks had to put up with me this morning. Please stand. You know, God has a way of working on you. I'll have to tell you, over the last couple of weeks, I have reexamined my life. Matter of fact, I've called my wife and said, okay, honey, here's some things I'm not doing no more. Here's some places I'm not going. She said, but why? I said, because I know the door they opened that started causing somebody else a problem, and I just don't want my life to get there. So I'm going to draw a boundary. I'm going to put some fences up. There's some things I don't want in my life, and there's some things I don't want to lose. And what I don't want to lose is my family and my kids and bring disrespect and dishonor to somebody else because of what I, in a, in a moment of, uh, of passion or stupidity or, or, or fleeting desire, cause chaos that lasts for generations. I'm going to choose. Gracious Father, Thank you for not expecting us to live up to a lifestyle that you didn't first demonstrate. Thank you for repeatedly reminding us that the world would know we're your disciples because you, we obey your commandments. We don't try to find shortcuts to get around them. We don't try to look for easy paths to change. But we decide to live what your word says. Thank you for this incredible place. Jesus, thank you for allowing me to get close enough to you to see who you really are. I'm not as close as I should be. But thank you for letting me get close enough to see your beauty and your loveliness. Jesus, I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be like Mary in discovering that the safest place in life to be is sitting at your feet. There's no place safer than sitting at your feet. God, I pray tonight, today, that 
revelation will take place in our lives. Pray, Lord, that we would open our hearts and be honest. God, I pray I have the courage to look at myself in a mirror every day of my life and take an inventory of what I see. Change those things that need to be changed. Be honest about myself. I don't want to be God. I don't want to take over the role of God. I don't want to become God. Lord Jesus, would you assume the throne of my life? Would you become the God of my life? And I don't want to ever take you off of that throne. Lord Jesus, I give you the right to speak into my life on a regular basis. I give you the right to bring conviction to my heart when it needs to be convicted. I give you the right to lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I give you the right to control my life the way you desire to control it. I submit my will to you, Jesus. I don't want life to be about me. I just want to get close enough to you that I see you in all of your glory. We talked about a rainbow of living color today as we described you. There is none as beautiful as you are. There's no place as safe as your presence. So God, I pray today... You'd touch every heart. You'd touch every life. God, if we've started on a path, we shouldn't. I hope there's enough conviction here today that we would choose to change the path that our lives are headed down right now. Touch a heart. Step into a pulpit and preach where I can't. I know you're the preacher of life. In Jesus' name. Would you like to worship Him for just a moment? Would you let Him speak to you? Would you open your heart to Him this morning? Would you respond to what you're feeling right now? Don't feel something and not respond because if you do, you condition yourself to never respond. So whatever you feel today, I, I pray that you'd respond to the tug at your heart, whatever God is speaking to you today, I pray that you'd respond to the voice of God as He's touching you today. I bless you, Jesus. I bless you, Jesus. I bless you, Jesus.